Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I'm Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. I'm Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver, Canada area. And I'm Joanna Boyd. Also a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd, uh, psychotherapist from the Vancouver area. All right, everybody. Here we are. Welcome. Yes, yes. Ryan, as he was saying, welcome. We're we're already bantering. Yes, we were. We were we were taught. We we have two teams here. Apparently, there's two two entities here. There's Team Fitbit, me and Joe. And then there's team Apple Watch, the other two, <laughs> right? I'm not even wearing mine. Oh, you're not even wearing mine. <laughs> I was like, oh. Is <laughs> that a pet? Hair elastic? Do you draw yours on, Joe? <laughs> yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've enjoyed my Fitbit. I've had it for years. I, I like it. And it's the difficult thing with this technology stuff is I... I wouldn't mind getting an Apple Watch. I think it's kind of, I have Apple, other products of Apple uh, that I enjoy, but uh, but I'm afraid of like losing my ability to compare things and stuff with all the data that I have on my Fitbit now. Like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah, you would have to export all the information somewhere. Yeah. And then start a new, is it really worth it? I don't know. I don't know if it's compatible. I don't know how that works. Yeah, but it's uh, it's interesting. So. Brooke and I got Apple Watches very recently. And uh, so just trying to figure out how the heck they work. That's uh, the first step. But it incorporates all the apps for your phone, or a lot of them anyway, the ones that are compatible. Oh, nice. So, but I, I feel that you kind of need some boundaries with this thing because you're sitting in a session and like your your wrist starts to vibrate. pulse or vibrate. And, and there's like text messages coming in and um, notifications to stand up and to, you know, yeah. to, so I went through and got rid of breathe. all of my notifications. Like, so nothing's really coming through or notifications can come through for text messages or phone calls, but to block them out in session, you, you just, you have to put it on silent mode. So if you put it on, do not disturb, it doesn't, the calls will still come in, the text messages will. So you have to put it on silent mode. Yeah. And then nothing so, comes through on your phone or on your watch while you're in session. Yeah, so some things I really enjoy about it is it's just collecting data, as Ryan said, uh, sleep cycles and um, yeah, heartbeat and tracks workouts. And I've been doing this ECG thing, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure about just always being connected, you know, like uh, we we're talking before, we're having boundaries with phones. Hmm. And now you have one on your wrist, you can't really escape it. So I may actually have to disconnect that part, perhaps. And wow. I like it because then I, I feel I'm not going to do mindless scrolling on my phone. I'm not going to mindlessly scroll Instagram or see what's going on in social media because I have no need to pick up my phone. The other benefit for me, uh, I don't know if we brought this up, but uh, yeah, I'm partially deaf uh, in one ear, probably both ears at this point. So I don't always hear my phone when it rings. So that was actually a big part of it for me in getting it so that in my leisure social time, I'll be able to hear or feel the phone ring on my wrist. So I 
Yeah, and I think that'll be a big benefit. And your mom, Chris and Joanna, actually brought up a good one, which was safety. So she mentioned like if she goes for a walk by herself or if something were to happen, then she can easily call for help through her her watch mm. if she needs to. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that part, but there's been some like sketchy stuff happening in the lower mainland for women or like rumors of sketchy things for safety. So I thought this would be a really good one. Yeah. Nice. I didn't, didn't ever think about that. That's a great yeah, call. It was yeah. a great benefit. Yeah, the, the Fitbit I have, you can get messages, text messages in, but you can't text back and it shows that you have a phone call coming in, but you can't answer it on your phone, which I'm fine with. I think I'm okay not having that connection because I feel like then I'd never, you know, I like to, I think, just have that boundary a bit, but I like to have it for the heartbeat and steps and all that stuff. And there's workouts on it and everything. So it's fun. It's fun having these little gadgets to have on our wrists. I feel very, yeah lucky privileged to have that so so simple so easy everyone uh look back to episode 22 our episode on screen time where we had an expert come in and talk about the <laughs> challenges for screen time looks like you guys are really thrilled with the new screens you have on your wrist so <laughs> just <laughs> it has a walkie talkie to other apple watches my gosh it's really cool yeah that's kind of fun that is fun cool yeah, I, I think it's the uh, it also checks blood oxygen levels, and I guess the way of the future before you know it, it's going to check blood pressure and have all your vitals on here, right? All right, Metal Health Boot Camp brought to you by Apple Watch. Let's see if they'll become a sponsor, probably, and Fitbit, maybe. Let's see if they'll become a sponsor. Okay, who has the topic for the night? You do. I think that's you. That's me. I almost forgot. But I have a topic. I had one ready. I'm waiting to talk about this one. So are you guys ready for it? We are ready. Ready? This is the ambush. This is where one of us know the topic. The other three do not. And I'm going to just drop it on you. You ready for it? Okay. Here it is. What is ADHD? How would you know if you have it? What can you do if you or a loved one? What can you do if you or a loved one have ADHD? You ready? Ready to dive in? Let's this do is it. a really good one. I feel like this comes up a lot. Yeah? Or yeah. I think so, at least. It's a, it's a big topic. No doubt about it. It's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about it. And it's one of these topics that people talk about kind of <laughs> colloquially, like, oh, look at this. Guest. We have been. I don't know you, but I'm excited to see you. <laughs> Ryan was very sneaky. He pretended he didn't remember it was him today. He really set us up there. Well done. <laughs> nice surprise. Yes, nice Jeez. to meet you. Everyone, this is Dr. Adrian Meyer. She oh, is a uh, she's a friend of mine, long-term friend of mine and uh, colleague who happens to know a lot about ADHD. And she was uh, kind enough to join us tonight to uh, to lend her expertise to this topic. Oh man. Well, All right. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Yes. Uh, We're excited to have you. Yeah. 
<laughs> just just to let you know the gang here, I'm I'm Ryan. You already know me mm -hmm. here in California. You guys introduce yourselves a little bit to Adrian, will you? Uh, I'm Joanna. Um, <laughs> yes, I yeah, we live up here. I'm Chris's sister. And I was, um, yeah, I got to know Ryan a little bit after Brooke and Chris. So I work, yeah, at a local agency as well as private practice. So kind of general practice. So yeah, nice to have you here. Great, nice to meet you. I'm Brooke. I'm like, it's hard to make eye contact with the other people in the video to see who's going to go when because nobody's, you know, anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, registered clinical counselor, also from British Columbia, Vancouver area, private practice, teens and adults, uh, self-destructive behaviors, kind of my deal, um, emotional dysregulation stuff, anxiety, depression, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Chris, uh, psychotherapist, uh, also work in private practice with these two. Uh, it's actually our dad's practice. He's a psychologist and so about 20 of us there uh, do, yeah, work with clients who are experiencing anxiety, depression, some PTSD, some substance use uh, disorders. So uh, kind of varies adolescent males as well as adults. So yeah, it's great to, great to meet you. Yes, you as well. Such a diverse experiences. Yes. Yes. So Dr. Meyer works not just with ADHD, but with, with a lot of stuff. She's actually a forensic psychologist and spends a lot of time in the courtroom. Um, so maybe, could you share a little bit more about what you do, Adrian? Sure. I have a private practice in Los Angeles and I do forensic psychology, neuropsychology and clinical psychology. So I like to dabble in all of these areas. Um, my expertise in the forensic world. I do clinical or sorry, civil and criminal cases. And there I do a lot of assessments for mental health and sex offending and any like traumatic brain injury, developmental delays, basically things that will impact someone in terms of making them more or less likely to commit a crime now or in the future. And then my clinical practice is largely focused on assessment. So I do a lot of ADHD assessment and I do ADHD coaching. I don't like the word coaching, but it, it's really the most appropriate word. Um, ADHD therapy, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, it, I get to do a lot of things I love. So it's fun. Yes. Awesome. Very neat. Adrian <laughs> is also uh, one, of, one of the co-founders of National Psychotherapy Day. Oh, so, cool. That's right. That's yes. right. We partnered up uh, about, gosh, 10 years ago to get ready for that. So, so yes, go way back. So, so you must be the brains behind the operation. <laughs> I, I wish. I, yeah. I would say that it was Ryan. I, I was just writing the coattails. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, she's, she's all of that. So, um, okay. So Adrian, we have this question or these questions that, uh, that we'd love to try to tackle here tonight. Um, and we'll we'll make it a discussion. I think you're gonna probably have a different perspective as someone who does assessment and, uh, and really does some of the coaching for ADHD. But uh, so the questions, what is ADHD? How would you know if you have it? And what can you do if you or a loved one have ADHD? What, what can be done about it, right? The basics there. 
right? All so great questions. Yes, they are. Actually, let me start with one for, for someone who, who works in this field a lot. The terms ADD and ADHD are inter, interchangeable, it seems. What, what should we be saying? You're right. They are interchangeable, but that's also because of the changes in the DSM. You know, our, the Bible that all of the clinicians use, when they change from the fourth edition to the fifth edition, actually it might have been the third to the fourth, regardless, they changed it from attention deficit disorder and ADHD to only having ADHD. So attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But the way it's written is it says slash, there's a slash in the middle. So it's or, you don't necessarily have both the attention problems and the hyperactivity. It's just, they condense it into one diagnosis. So when, when someone like me makes a diagnosis, we specify at the end of that, whether you have an attentive type, hyperactivity, or both. There we go. So it's ADHD now. <laughs> okay. Okay. ADHD across the board. We'll take Adrian, that. Adrian, could you, would do you prefer Adrian or Dr. Meyer? Adrian's fine. Okay. Just checking. Just yeah. checking. Um, so Adrian, could you, for our listeners, uh, distinguish between inattentive and hyperactivity type? Because I feel a lot of people don't realize about inattentive type. Yes. So inattentive type is when someone has trouble focusing. And most often the people with inattentive type kind of fly under the radar, especially if you're smart, you can fly under the radar because it's happening in your head. You're not doing anything around or outside of your body. You're doing this in your head. So you're listening to someone talk and you just, you're on some other planet, you're on some other thought, or you're having a hard time completing tasks, starting tasks. So people don't necessarily notice. Usually you notice actually more than other people. Whereas the hyperactivity type, this is the one all the teachers in school notice because these are the kids that are, you know, can't sit still and they're being loud and they're just, they're hyperactive. And those kids tend to be more often boys and they are more often referred for assessments. So it's pretty common for especially girls to get to college or beyond before they realize that they actually have ADHD. Hmm. I'm noticing a lot more um, in the population I'm working with, it's uh, kind of in the maybe 16, 17, 18 year olds. So grade 10, 11, 12, where they're starting to come into therapy saying, hey, I think I have this, which is, I think, I think that's really great that they're starting to acknowledge that something's not quite right, that they're having these difficulties. Um, and then there's, of course, good old Google doctor where they're looking up symptoms and trying to see what fits. And in some regards, it's not the best thing. In other regards, it's very enlightening for them. So yeah, I think a lot of people are struggling with an inattentive type that they didn't realize that was something. And so it's so validating and normalizing for them. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It's absolutely changes someone's life to figure out that it's not that I'm lazy or can't do something. It's an actual neurological disorder that was out of my control this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've, I've heard it said before that that ADHD is is one diagnosis that people are actually happy to get because it explains so much like, ah, this now this makes sense. Everything kind of is, uh, you know, it all it all kind of falls into place now. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely is my favorite diagnosis to give. It's the most often it's the easiest diagnosis to give. Anything else, mental health or otherwise, unless it's just, you know, run of the mill anxiety or run of the mill depression, anything else, no one wants to really hear that. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of adults who are being diagnosed with ADHD too. So they've uh, had such a difficult path there navigating through uh, their schooling. Uh, we actually have a friend, uh, Brian, and uh, he's on the verge of getting flunking out of university and then got diagnosed with ADHD, was medicated properly and kind of turned things around there. So it actually made a significant difference. So he's a big advocate for, for getting uh, the proper assessments done and the proper treatments for, for ADHD, even as an adult. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about this ADHD thing. How do we, how do you, Adrian, since you're actually doing a lot of the assessment for this, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, there are times when everyone gets uh, distracted or they, you know, scatterbrained or something like that. You know, you're just kind of uh, foggy or something like, you know, we all have these sort of attention and memory sort of issues from time to time. What is going to distinguish those sort of episodic, you know, these little things that happen once in a while from someone who's really experiencing, you know, a neurological issue like ADHD? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think this is the most common misnomer about ADHD, right, is because when you explain to someone else that you have ADHD and it, you can't pay attention to things, but you can if you like it. Right. Almost everyone comes back and says, well, yeah, I can pay better attention to the things I like, too right? Mm -hmm. Not what it is. It's okay. the, the important part about ADHD is that if you have ADHD, you cannot force yourself to do something. If you do not like it, you literally cannot force yourself to do it unless there's a deadline or some sort of urgency or you like it. The my favorite analogy is it's sort of like erectile dysfunction of the mind. So if you're interested, you can get it up. If not, it is not happening. You cannot. It's just not going to happen. I'm afraid of using that with children. Oh, man, I didn't expect that one. <laughs> I work with a lot of college students, and so they get that yeah. one pretty well. That's great. Oh, they might have to rename it. They might. So they might have to rename it. So you're saying someone with with ADHD, if something some task is put in front of them that they that they find boring, they're not interested in it at all. Um, it's really it's it's not a matter of willpower even or like oh I really got to get this done. They just really can't do it. It's it's it's, it's an impossibility almost, right? Yes, or it's like pulling teeth to get it done. So for example, something that should have taken thirty minutes will take literally eight hours because they cannot force themselves to just focus and do the task. They're mm -hmm. doing all these other things and it, it yeah. just get very distracted and they can't just do it. Whereas someone that doesn't have ADHD, they might hate the task, but they can force themselves to sit down and do it if they need to. Yeah. So how does uh, hyper-focus play into it? Yeah, that's a great <laughs> question. So, that, that's like a superpower, hyper-focus. It as is like a superpower, yeah. <laughs> as long as it's on the right thing. Yeah. Then they can uh, be extremely focused and attentive and, and uh, yeah, an amazing amount of single-minded effort, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think this is what parents most often will say to argue why their child does not have ADHD, right? Is like, no, he can sit or she can sit and play video games for like seven hours and not move. Like, well, video games are a bit different anyways. They're like a dopamine hit. <laughs> just, yeah. They're just fun. So that's not the best example, but um, yeah, if you have ADHD, you can hyper-focus if you get excited about something. Mm -hmm. The challenge is just, you can't control what you get excited about. So, but is it based on like though? If would you would it more likely be something obviously you enjoy though? No, to discover. I mean, that? yes, it could be something you enjoy or something you're curious about, but you don't necessarily get to choose where to direct your your hyper focus. Okay. Yeah. So an example is I have ADHD, which I did not learn until after I graduated graduate school. Um, cause I found lots of ways to compensate and then private practice. There's no one watching me. There's no one observing. There's no deadlines. There's nothing. And all of a sudden I'm in an abyss. <laughs> um, yeah. but an, an example there would be right. I got a new case a new forensic case. And I was really interested in the topic. I've never heard of it before. Like this specific thing that was going on. And I thought I want to learn more about it three hours go by and I've been reading articles. This is not even pressing work. Like I actually have other things that I needed to yeah. do. <laughs> right. It was great. I loved it. It was fascinating, but that was not the priority of that moment. And I needed to do something else. Yeah. So you, you don't really get to pick. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So what's, so what's the problem then? I mean, I mean, they're, they're actually, they're, they're people, uh, including uh, Ned Hollowell, the, the guy who wrote Driven to Distraction, who says, we shouldn't even be calling ADHD a disorder. It should just be a, a different, uh, a, like a variation of, of the brain, right? So, so the question would be, you know, when is it problematic or when does it actually become disordered, if at all? I would say, well, if we're using the DSM, right? It's when it starts to impair your functioning. <laughs> so any type of impairment in your ability to get things done on a daily basis or follow through and you're, you know, there's some sort of consequence or ramification for not following through. Like the example that Chris gave earlier, right? One of his friends was almost going to fail out of school. There was a consequence, right? It was negatively impacting his academic functioning. But as soon as he got diagnosed and treated, do it great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so yes, okay, that makes sense. Sure. If it's if it's uh if it's causing an impairment in all the different realms, right? You know, their their work life or their social life or their personal life relationships, then it's probably it's problematic. They, it's something that needs to be addressed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well and and an example of how this might impact your social life because people don't really talk about ADHD in your social life, right? But you're going to interrupt your friends. You have impulsivity, so you're going to interrupt their sentences. You might butt into conversations that you shouldn't be butting into. Um, or even something simple like text messaging, right? You might read a text, write a response even, and never press send because you forget, which I do all the time. <laughs> Is that what happened yesterday, Adrian? Is I that did what send yours yesterday. I did send it yesterday. <laughs> I took the 
screenshot to prove it. it you did. It didn't go through. <laughs> but I am guilty of that often. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. Okay. So neuropsychology. We haven't had a neuropsychologist on before. So this is very, it's very cool mm-hmm. stuff, right? So tell us how someone someone brings a uh, their kid to you, let's say, and says, I think, you know, my kid's teacher says that he may have ADHD. So I guess without sharing all the, the special secret sauce that neuropsychology has, can you tell us in general terms what uh, what it is that a neuropsychologist would do to actually help give a diagnosis? What are you assessing for? And, and what are those what are those assessments kind of look like? Well, spoiler alert, if I told you the special sauce, it would be boring enough that no one would want to hear it. Ah. So we will not go into the special sauce. But generally, it's about getting information about how the child's functioning at home. So you get a lot of background information. So I get information from the kid, how they think they're doing and what's going on with them from their parents, from their teachers. So we get a lot of different sources of data. And then we actually do some tests. They're kind of like puzzles, mind games. Some are interesting, some are boring. Um, And then after all of that, we can figure out whether or not they have ADHD. So it's, this is obviously the Cliff Notes version, but it usually takes about six to to eight hours meeting with the the child and parents and all of that. And then you write a comprehensive report. Yeah. So to, to do a six or seven hour assessment with a, a, an adult or child who has may have ADHD must be pretty difficult at times, I imagine. It must involve quite a bit of patience or creativity to, or yeah, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, usually you can just tell, right? It, it's helpful to see someone over that long of a period of time, especially because if someone's smart, they can hold it together. Right. Like I can usually, even myself, I can usually distract myself to a point, but if we go past a certain amount of time, I'm done. I cannot, I cannot pretend or compensate anymore. Like this is so boring. I gotta stop. Yeah. Um, so I don't always do it in one day though. So I often will break it up over maybe two days. So then it's more like three to four hour chunks, which is much more manageable for me and for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Another question for you too. I'm really curious to get your perspective on this. There is um, some debate out there that kids are being overdiagnosed with ADHD. Uh, so, do you feel that's the case, or do you think it's just we're getting better at pinpointing ADHD in our youth? Yeah, I mean ADHD in general is it's overdiagnosed. I would argue, yeah. and mostly because a lot of people who are getting diagnosed, they don't actually do an assessment to figure out if their attention is significantly different from their other cognitive abilities, right? You just, especially if you go see it like a GP, your doctor for a checkup and you tell them you're having trouble paying attention, they might just go through the the diagnostic criteria and ask you, well, do you lose things sometimes? And most people will be like, yeah, yeah, I lose things, yeah. We all do sometimes, right? Um, so then they say yes to all the questions and boom, they got diagnosed with ADHD. So I do think that it's overdiagnosed only because most people aren't going through the hoops that they need in order to get a full actual comprehensive diagnostic evaluation. 
which there's a lot of barriers to why people aren't doing that cost access lack of insurance coverage all kinds um, of things can be very costly so up here we often talk about the differences in American and Canadian circumstances but um, so where we are if you're in school there is a school psychologist so you can go and get a psychoed or get a an assessment done through there but there's long wait so it might take a year or more to be able to go see and then privately just for listeners so it's um, anywhere from I would say $2,400 to $3,000 to get an assessment done privately. Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if that's sort of in the same realm for you guys or how that works. Is there a school psychologist that's available? Um, yeah, what, what is the accessibility for assessments? That's a good question. And maybe Ryan has some information on this as well, but in my experience, the school psychologists are mostly looking for learning disorders. They're not looking for ADHD. Um, they don't have the same training as a neuropsychologist who is diagnosing ADHD. So I've often actually assessed kids and adolescents who have already had the school evaluation and the school says they have no learning disorder. So they get no IEP, they get no accommodations. Right? But when I look at the scores, my immediate thought is I would want to investigate attention further because this something is wrong here. They don't have a learning disorder, but this is still not right. Mm. And so then they have to end up going private. But I don't know if you've seen something different, Ryan. Uh, you know, I, I don't work with kids all that often, so I haven't seen a whole lot in that area. But I do know that that here, at least, um, school psychology is a, um, yeah, it's a much, it's a kind of a narrower field. And uh, it, it, it's very different from, from actually be, being a psychologist. You, it's a master's level degree here to be a school psychologist, whereas to be a clinical psychologist is a doctoral level. So there's just a different, different sort of way that they, they, they work around that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of school psychologists are also working with just sort of behavioral issues as well and uh, kind of helping develop uh, disciplinary plans and that sort of thing. So. Interesting. Yes, yes. And, and another little thing I wanted to point out there, a potential Canadian American difference there uh, Adrian said a, a term GP general practitioner, which is kind of like a, like a family medicine person here, or some would call a PCP, a primary care physician. I'm not sure what they're called up there. Yeah. We GP. Oh, GP. Yeah. GP. Oh, there we go. There we go. I used the right terminology without knowing it. That's right. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's great. Um, when when measuring, uh, just 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 going to go back to the assessment real quick here, Adrian. Um, attention is different than just memory and other things, right? Like I'm thinking of a memory test, like uh, uh, you know, remember these three words, and then I'm going to ask you about it in 15 minutes, and can you remember those words? Like a like a a memory test. Then we have things like uh, like remembering numbers, right? Like a sequence of numbers and then tell me back these numbers, longer and longer sequences. Um, what's an attention test like? Just, just, what would that be? Well, maddening is how I would describe an attention <laughs> test. That's because I have ADHD. Um, and so there's, there's several tests that we can use for, to test attention. 
And ADHD in general is also conceptualized as an executive functioning disorder. So I'll get into the special sauce a little bit, which is uh, ADHD in general is our is when our frontal lobes are impaired. So our frontal lobe of our brain is the one responsible, arguably, for the most important things, which would be planning, organization, executing a plan, paying attention. I mean, these are all essential to just getting through life, right? And so if that's impaired, you're going to have a lot of trouble. So I, whenever I do an ADHD assessment, I'm always looking at both because some people can compensate with attention, but it's the executive functioning that you see is awry. They just can't shift back and forth between tasks, like can't multitask. Right. So an example would be like, I'm typing and working on something and then someone calls or someone walks into my office. Right. Now it's going to, if you don't have ADHD, you can just get back to work. No problem. If you have ADHD, you've now lost like an hour trying to shift back to get your work done mm. uh, because you can't shift that quickly. So it's not seamless. So looking at things like that and then being able to put the brake on things. So like not blurting out whatever you think in your head, which is not always appropriate to blurt out whatever comes to your mind. Um, right. Yes. So <laughs> specifically the attention tasks would be things like there's some computer tests where you have to, you know, press the space bar when certain things show up on the screen and don't press the space bar when other things show up. So you're supposed to pay attention and differentiate the target so that you're only pressing the space bar on the right things. But this one's hard because everyone plays video games, right? So you're going to be better at that than generations in the past that didn't grow up playing video games. Um, but other tests like saying two different categories of words and switching back and forth. So for example, saying as many plants as you can and saying as many types of schools as you can, right? So switching back and forth to see how quickly you can do that. Mm -hmm. People with ADHD struggle more switching back and forth, like I described. Good. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Some fun tasks, but you didn't ask about memory. Yeah. And I think people with ADHD often get a bad rap of having poor memory. Mm -hmm. They don't have poor memory. Right. So that the same, not the same part of the brain, right? No, their memory is just fine. It's if we don't pay attention to something, it does not get in to our memory. And then you don't remember it. So their memory is fine. It's their attention that's broken, so to speak, it's their attention that's impaired. And that's why they can't store it in their memory because it never got in there. How about forgetfulness? What specifically are you thinking? Like, I don't about? know, like if there's like um, forgetting that you like what the teacher assigned you um, or forgetting that you had a certain appointment or something like that. Is that kind of still the you weren't paying attention piece or mm -hmm. is that okay? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. You, you weren't fully attending in that moment when someone told you it, like your mind is somewhere else or you're looking at something else, thinking about something else, and you just did not encode that information. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's, 
Yes. You're like processing something here. Oh yeah. There's just so many different things. I think it's, yeah, there's just so many people we do work with talk about having ADHD or lots of kids. So I think it's just, yeah, great to learn about it in greater detail because yeah, I don't know the ins and outs. So I think it's just really good to hear all of this. So how about, how about chronic lateness, Adrian? Time management. (laughs) Yeah. Time management is hard. So because folks with ADHD, right, aren't paying attention, it's pretty common for them to sort of go off into fantasy world or get distracted with something and then lose track of time. So being on time is a struggle for folks with ADHD, um, myself included. Got it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's largely because of the fact that you're you don't estimate how long something will actually take you because you're thinking of like the most efficient way of doing it, but that's not how you're going to do it. Mm. You're going to take your time and be in your fantasy world or get distracted by other things. Oh, so you're thinking like optimally, like, like ideally this will be done in an hour. So I'll I'll be available in an hour, Mm -hmm. but, but realistically, you're not, you're not factoring in all these other things that actually it's going to be an hour and a half or two hours. So that, uh, okay. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. You're not factoring in the fact that you cannot focus on one task, right? So <laughs> like that task should only take an hour and you know that, but because you can't focus, you're going to be doing all these other things or thinking about all these other things. And now that task just took you two hours. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So actually that's an intervention that we often use when we work with folks with ADHD, which is anything you're doing, double the time. The time estimate you think someone's gonna something's gonna take you, double it every time. Wow. wow. So if I think I need 10 minutes to get ready in the morning, no, I actually need 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Ah, just a just a little little rule of thumb there, huh? Just yes. double it all. I'm not saying I always follow it, but um it, it helps if you do. Great. Uh, side note here, Adrian, uh, do you have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch? No, not. neither of those. Okay. I am, I am holding out. I, I don't want someone monitoring my behavior. It bothers me. <laughs> this, is, this is the forensic psychologist in me. Someone is going to use that data for something and I don't know what it's going to be. Oh. <laughs> Because you see that in in trials, don't you? Yes. In fact, they've introduced Fitbit data into civil litigation. And no. Yep. They've proved that people aren't disabled like they claim to be because there's too many steps they've taken that day or whatever it is. Front door. (laughs) Thanks, friends. Oh, man. Can you come back and talk about forensic psychology? That's so good. It's great stuff. Okay, let's get to this this final question though, which is all right. We've kind of got an idea of what what ADHD is and a little bit how it's uh, how it's assessed and how we kind of figure out what's going on there. What do we do about it? What do, what do we do about it as uh, you know? I guess as clinicians, maybe with our clients, but even if 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 you have that yourself or a loved one, where where do we go? Mm-hmm. Well, I think everyone assumes the only option is medication. That's like the first thing everyone goes to is sometimes, yeah, 
sometimes people will say like, it doesn't matter if I have ADHD or not, I'm not gonna take the medicine. So why does it matter if I know? Like, well, it's sometimes just nice, helpful to know what's going on. And especially when we do the testing, we get to see someone's strengths and weaknesses so that we can actually give it like an individualized treatment plan of like, this is how you address these things that your testing showed are areas of weakness for you. Because just like any other disorder, right? ADHD doesn't look exactly the same for everyone. And especially if you're smarter, right? You've learned to compensate. You've figured out ways to navigate the world. And for example, no one knew that I was doing my homework one minute before I was turning it in. No one was paying attention to me doing that, right? As long as I got my homework in and got good grades, no one cared what I was doing. But if you are struggling with the homework, people are gonna start noticing. Yeah, so, but medication isn't the only option. It's an easy option, but it's not the only one. Other options are, like we said earlier, some sort of therapy or ADHD coaching, where you can actually learn skills to implement into your daily life. Like, like, like doubling your time allotment for something, right? Like doubling your time allotment for something. Mm -hmm. Good. Yes, exactly. And that will help you to improve your time management and then it has a dominoes effect. There's lots of those kinds of things that you can do in terms of therapy, getting tips. There's also workbooks. And then another thing is EEG biofeedback, which we also call neurofeedback. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, everyone's shaking their head yes. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't our, seen the, the studies and how it relates to ADHD treatment, but it is a, a really interesting option. So that seems to help a bit. Yes. In fact, so of course, neurofeedback, like anything else, they're advertising and promoting for all kinds of disorders, oh, yes. right? But unequivocally, Unequivocally? Yeah. Unequivocally. Without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt, it helps ADHD. So there's plenty of double blind studies that have looked at folks with ADHD and then folks without ADHD, and they each do a course of treatment to see how it changes um, their attention abilities. And it literally improves attention for up to actually seven years after you complete the treatment. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Holy smokes. So for anyone, for anyone that doesn't know what neurofeedback is, it's basically like biofeedback, but you're hooking some electrodes up to your, your head. There's nothing going in, no currents going into your head, promise. It's just monitoring the waves in your brain. So it's shown on a computer screen, there's audio, and basically your brain retrains itself to be less aroused. Hmm. So just just like our brains do all kinds of things, such as regulating our breathing and our heart rate without us getting involved, it does the same thing, which is pretty cool. You do, nothing. Cool. You do nothing except come sit in my office three times a week for 45 minutes each time and your ADHD will be better. And it isn't even like a conscious effort that you have to make to try to, because like biofeedback, you're like, breathing and stuff to try to bring your pulse down and your heart rate, you know, your, your blood pressure and all that stuff. But neurofeedback, you don't actually do anything, huh? I mean, you have to still pay attention and look at the sure. screen. And then there's certain points where you have to press the space bar. Um, so it's like you are engaged in some way, but it's not like you're not actively doing something. 
Oh. Mm. Kind of cool, but it also requires 25 to 40 sessions and insurance considers it experimental. So a lot of insurance won't cover it. It's it's actually listed as an exclusion. Mm. Oh, really? Really? That's intriguing. It's been around for like 25 years or something, right? Mm -hmm. Experimental. Come on. I don't know. Yeah, it's too bad. So then access and cost is an issue for neurofeedback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that some of neurofeedback, I would argue, is related to mindfulness. So mindfulness has been shown to you know, have structural changes in the brain if you do mindfulness consistently. And neurofeedback kind of forces you to do mindfulness. Mm. It does, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was reading a book, uh, Boys Adrift by Leonard, Leonard Sachs. I'm not sure if you guys have read that title. Hmm. He talks about how uh, a lot of kids who's focusing on uh, uh, boys, uh, they are diagnosed with ADHD and given stimulant medication when they actually don't have ADHD. And there is uh, what it does, it actually impacts their motivation and drive. So he figures um, that's a big reason why a lot of uh, boys are disconnecting from academics. Um, but I'm curious if, if you have ADHD, it's a neurological disorder, right? And you're prescribed uh, a stimulant medication, like based on your experience, does that tend to help um, kids, adults, or does it vary um, based on the individual or, you know, what they're going through? Yeah. I mean, I'll give the caveat that I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't prescribe yes. anything, but in my experience, stimulants are sort of like any other medication where some are really helpful for for one person and the other person is not helpful. Mm. So for example, one will induce panic attacks in someone. <laughs> and then another one, that same person can take a, a different stimulant and it, and it works wonders. Mm. So it's really an individualized basis. Mm -hmm. I, I, I find it interesting, the whole reason why you know, some people think it's it's kind of, you know, ironic that a stimulant would work with someone who has ADHD, you know, someone who has hyperactivity as part of the disorder. We're going to give them a stimulant that actually helps. And and the interesting way that I heard this explained to me, and Adrian, you may have a different slant on this, is, um, is that what you're stimulating is the part of the brain that helps you kind of focus. Like you're stimulating the... the the analogy I heard was like the blinders on a horse, like so that you are not being uh, distracted by everything else. And you're just, you know, putting those blinders on so that you can actually uh, hone in on something. Is that, is that the way that you understand it? Yes, I think that's a great depiction of what a stimulant can help you do. It's still dangerous, though, because you can put your horse blinders on and pay attention to the wrong thing. So I certainly <laughs> spent hours on social media trying to make a post when I take my medicine instead of whatever else I need to do. So it's, it's you still have to direct it to the right thing. <laughs> so to stare at the right thing. Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Uh, Leonard Sachs as well talks about the importance of nature. So especially for kids getting out and uh, he was talking about preschools, I believe. Um, uh, so more outdoor focused, um, outdoor education uh, compared to more traditional types of preschools and how it especially impacts kids with ADHD in a very beneficial way. So that's kind of an exciting 
uh, takeaway, I, I think. So, of course, we've touched on that before, the benefits of connecting with nature, but it seems like it really benefits that population, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of, I mean, Ryan earlier had mentioned something about the theories about ADHD and uh, eco-psychology, eco like we look at the fact that, you know, the brain, right, we evolved caveman times, like to be a hunter and a gatherer, you had to pay attention to everything. Right? You can't just like focus on this one thing. But in modern society, you're supposed to sit in a cubicle, stare at the computer, not move. And that's that brain that you would have had back then in the hunter gatherer society is not <laughs> equipped to be in this like monotonous sedentary lifestyle. So there's some theories that actually an ADHD brain is how our brains were originally supposed to be, and they just didn't evolve for our modern society of, you know, monotony and sedentary lifestyles. I like that. Yeah. Like you're really selling this diagnosis. I'm jealous. <laughs> I want. I want the original brain. I don't want to be monotonous. I don't know. If we talk about it, if we talk about it like an iPhone, though, you have like a 2.0 brain, and I have a 1.0 brain. So technically, your brain is better. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It sounds boring. Um, I've known folks like, like a couple, like a married couple, right? Um, and they, some of the strife in their in their relationship pre-diagnosis comes from some of the challenges that go along with, with ADHD, right? Like I'm thinking of one couple that I worked with a long time ago and, uh, and the husband would just get so irritated by little noises that would happen in the house. Uh, and he'd be trying to focus on his work and then like the can operator would open up, go be going in the other room and he'd just get so mad at that, get so angry. Like I need silence. And it became clearer clearer as we as our work went on that gosh maybe he should get an, an assessment for adhd and he did and he did have it and and suddenly a lot of this stuff made sense like oh that's why you're so frustrated because you're being pulled away and you know the work is that much harder because you're being distracted um adrian do you have any thoughts on like what loved ones can do and like how you know how this diagnosis can impact people it, it may be pre and post diagnosis yeah, I mean, like we had mentioned before, it, it can wreak havoc on our relationships, right? Because first, you might not remember what people have said to you. So this can cause problems, especially in romantic relationships, because you don't remember what they said or asked you to do. You don't follow through. You struggle to be proactive um, and poor time management. So you might be late to things. So, I mean, this can really negatively impact any relationship, but especially a romantic relationship. So pre-diagnosis, right? I think just paying attention to what's going on and then getting professional help. And you mentioned couples therapy. I try not to do couples therapy ever. I do not want to do it because no one goes to couples therapy until they're done. The people that I work with are already all done before they show up. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there to help them feel like they did their their best to show up to marital therapy and tried their best to make it work. They don't want to make yeah. it work. Okay. But that being said, that being said, yes. Being proactive is the way to address it, right? And figuring out what's actually going on, whether it's 
a personality issue or if it's actually something like ADHD. And then post-diagnosis is educating yourself. There are a lot of books about, there's one that's, I'm looking at my bookshelf, ADHD in marriage and how ADHD impacts marriage, which would apply to just relationships in general. So becoming familiar with what it is so that you're not taking things personally. Like they're not following through with that because of anything to do with you. It's literally their brain is not, not firing on full cylinders. Well, and that's, and that's, again, the beauty of, of actually getting that diagnosis is it's not only a relief for the person, but it can be a relief for the spouse too. Cause you're like, Oh, it's not that you find me boring or that I don't matter to you. It's that your brain just isn't firing that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, if they're both on the same page with that, it's like, okay, it's not me versus you. It's me and you kind of versus this challenge. And uh, we can kind of be a team again, you know? Yeah, exactly. You can come together around the diagnosis. That's it. Because that's really what we all want to do. It's just bond together around the diagnosis, everybody. <laughs> well, we do all just want to bond, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know about the diagnosis part. Yeah, stop. Stop saying this. Yeah. Um, are there some uh, some great books out there that you would recommend? Um, Ooh, there are in terms of just ADHD in general or specific to a topic? I think so. Like it could be ADHD in general or supporting a family member or partner uh, who has ADHD or whatever pops into your mind. Whatever's on your bookshelf, Adrian, just look at your bookshelf. Tell us what's there. Well, on my bookshelf is the ADHD effect on marriage. The one I can see from here, the rest are in my office, but that one is at home. That's a, that's a pretty helpful one just to see how, ADHD can impact relationships. It says marriage, but it can apply to any mm-hmm. any romantic relationship. And Ryan earlier mentioned Driven to Distraction, which you know a lot of people have read or, or are familiar with that book. Do you think? Say that again? Is that is that book still applicable? That was written a while ago, right? Oh yeah. I found that it was really good, but that was oh golly gee. What was he- that? 2000 Five? Oh no, it was it was it was ninety five that he wrote that it book. Ninety five. Yeah, but he but he's updated it, and there there are new editions all the time, so it's mm. it's still up to date. Yeah, so yeah. it's still certainly helpful. I mean, I think that the challenge is everyone has sort of a different perspective on what ADHD is and how you can treat it, and everyone has very strong opinions on how it impacts work or relationships. I mean, I don't know any books that I'm like extremely excited about. Those two I've read and they're pretty good. One book that I, I actually haven't read, but I love the title of it uh, is it's it just the title of it is You Mean I'm Not Lazy, Crazy or Stupid, uh, <laughs> which is about about ADHD, because a lot of times people grow up, you know, un, non-diagnosed or pre-diagnosis feeling like or they're told all the time that they're lazy or they're crazy or they're stupid when it's neither of those, none of those things. It's just their brain's wired another way. Mm-hmm. I love that title. Yeah, which, and I mean, this whole time we've been talking about kind of the negative aspect of ADHD, but there's some pretty cool aspects of ADHD, which is like folks with ADHD tend to think outside the box and are more creative, um, which is fantastic, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you own your own business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can hyper focus on things and not get distracted if you're excited about it. Yeah. There's some pretty cool aspects of ADHD. It's just 
those don't cause problems, right? So that's why we tend to focus on what causes problems in our life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hollowell uh, from Driven to Distraction, he, he says that uh, having an ADHD brain is like having a Ferrari engine with bicycle brakes. Yeah. Which I love <laughs> that. It's like, yes, the, the brain is firing, man. You're going. Yeah. It's just hard to, to rein it in and slow it down, yeah. you know? Trying to harness that energy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I agree. Some, yeah, amazing. The um, folks I know that have uh, ADHD, they are usually extremely passionate, very creative. Um, so just trying to focus that in the meaningful ways, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's some of what like ADHD coaching will do is help you harness that excitement and channel it in the areas that are helpful instead of maybe areas that aren't as helpful for you. But also I'm going to add that I have like Honda brakes with a Ferrari engine, like I have a little bit better than, than bicycle Bus. brakes. <laughs> Take a step up to like a Honda brakes. Okay. Well, give me that. <laughs> give me that. Uh, this has been very helpful, Adrian. So glad to have you here. Um, if people are, are curious about this or curious about their services, how can they, how can they find you on the internet? Do you know? No, the internet. No, I, so I have social media. I try not to, but I, I do. So I'm on Instagram. It's at Dr. Adrian Meyer. And then also my website, which is drmeyer.com. Meyer, M-E-I-E-R. Uh, -E That's right. Yeah. I'll look it up on my Apple watch here. We'll see if Ooh. I can track you down. Yeah. Oh, um, well, you won't find me because I don't have one on. <laughs> <laughs> Another, uh, um, one more quick question before we end. There's so many amazing crime shows out there. Uh, yes. Watching Bosch right now. Um, do you do you watch many of these? Uh, yeah, I know you do it for work, the forensic side of things. Are there some shows that you really enjoy watching? Yeah, that's a good question. There are shows that I enjoy watching, like Mindhunters on Netflix. Yeah, I like that show. Um, I do like watching some shows, but when it gets too real, I, I don't really like it. Like making a murderer, for example, like mm. those are cases that I deal with all the time. So that's, that's just a lot to swallow. Like this is my daily life. Like I don't want to watch it in entertainment. I already know this happens and it's awful. So I don't want to watch yeah. that. No, fair enough. Fiction, fiction. Great. Real life. Ugh. I don't know. It's too much. Yeah. Fair question. Well, Maybe Joe's wish will come true and we'll have you back sometime just to talk about forensic stuff. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me talk about ADHD. It was fun. Oh, it was great for us. Great for me. I learned a lot. Yeah, me too. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Okay. So that's it for tonight. Uh, like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two or 20, however many you can think of. And uh, that's it for tonight.